Made you like that? Those guys did a good job on that, didn't they? Well, 2020 has been a real challenging year so far. Uh, you know, we're just entering the fourth quarter, I guess, of the whole thing. But 2020 has been challenging because of the pandemic. It's put us in our homes. It's closed churches, closed businesses, and really put the economy into a, a personal economy to many of you in a, in a bad state. We've had weather problems, racial tensions. We ran the whole gamut, it seems like, for 2020. What could get ever, ever get worse? Well, I'm not here to share with you that this morning that I can give you a formula that's gonna make all your circumstances better. Because one thing I've learned from life, you can't control what goes on around you. Most of the things you just simply can't control. And so it's not so much that 2021 is gonna get so much better for us because of what is going on around us, because we can't, I can't promise anything there, but it could go on much better inside of us. Now, I know you've heard that kind of all your life about attitude, and uh, I'll share with you again, one of my first deacons meetings here, uh, we did a little exercise, and I asked the deacons, I said, you know, think about somebody that you admire the most, then we put down on a, on a board, a marker board, all the things that they admired about that person. We discovered that of the 36 things that were listed, 33 were attitudes. And so the lesson to the whole exercise was, you can be like the most important or the, the person you admire the most in life. But attitude is more than just simply a positive thinking uh, approach. It's responding to life in the very best possible way and as we look at these seven things, they come out of seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Now, these were real churches. And we could apply every single thing, uh, what's going on in each one of these churches, somehow to our church and to churches all over the United States and really the world. But I want to go beyond that a little bit. And I'd like to apply it also to our own personal life as well. Hence the seven questions that we ask ourselves. And the number one question here in the, in the first letter to the uh, first church, Ephesus, is really the question, who do you love? Because who you love really determines, think about it, it determines your quests in life, your passions in life, your want-tos in life, your desires in life. It really establishes your fears in life. What are you, what are you most afraid of losing in life? You know, we've lost a lot during 2020. What are you most afraid of losing in your life? What are you most afraid of approaching in your life? What opportunities do you want to avoid because you may feel like you're going to fail? It's all about who or what we're really loving in life. And as we open up this book, in the book of Revelation, I want us to look at a couple of things in chapter one because this is a letter written to a guy by the name of John. John the Apostle, who was the last living original disciple of Jesus Christ, wrote this book. It says here in verse 4, to the, in, in chapter 1, to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is Asia Minor, and this is modern-day Turkey. So these were seven churches in Asia Minor. Why these seven churches? Well, because John ministered 10 years in the church at Ephesus, the one we're going to be looking at today. And as he was there, he was familiar with the region. I believe that God placed him there in the last 10 years of his ministry because he knew 
that God, he, he, God knew he would write a letter using John to give us a picture of the last days. Verse five, it's from Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse. Man, this is a great verse. You, need, you and I need to memorize this verse. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from sins by his blood. Tell me, is that not a great verse or not? I mean, God has saved us by his blood. I ought to get an amen somewhere on that one. Somewhere but from someone. And verse five tells us who wrote, really wrote this book. Then we look at verse nine. It says, he was on an island of Patmos. Now, John was preaching the gospel, probably in Ephesus and around the Asia Minor area. And he was arrested and placed in exile rather than killed, placed in exile in because he refused to stop preaching the gospel. And so it was under persecution. And so there he is. And then he says, I was in the spirit, verse 10, on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And he said, write to see you in this book. You send to, send to these seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. The, the original seven churches that received the book of Revelation. Now in this book, the only book in the Bible that really gives us its own outline. Look in verse 19. Write, he says to John, therefore the things that you have seen. That's Jesus. He had a picture of Jesus and how he looks today right here in chapter one. And then he says, not only that, but write the things, verse 19, those things that are that's the seven letters to the seven churches. That's chapters two and three. And then the things that are to come. That's chapter four through the rest of the book as we look at what the Bible says is gonna be what the world's gonna look like in the last days. But first, these seven churches, they were open letters. And so in other words, if they were writing to churches around in our area, they would, he would know the evaluation. Everybody would know the evaluation of Cross Life Church. Everyone. We know the evaluation of these churches today. We can look and we can see what God commended, what God complained about, what his concerns were, what his counsel was to each one of these churches as well. Well, we look at the first one and it's the church in Ephesus and we ask the question, who do you love? Love is the most important thing. Jesus said, or God said, God is love. It says in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So now we have a situation where God is addressing Ephesus, the first church. Why is it the first church? I don't know, except for this is kind of the foundational question. Look in verse, chapter two, verse one. We'll read the text. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you, are, you have enduring patient, you've been enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Yet, this is, you ha- this is what you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, that is, those who are willing to listen, those who are willing not to be offended by the word of God, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Remember the book of Genesis, the tree of life, eternal life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, we'll look at this passage. I just want to look at a couple of things because really there's a pattern to all seven letters. First, there's always a picture or a portrait of Jesus in the first verse or two. And then there's finally the proclamation or the message that he wants to get across to the church. So let's look at it. First of all, in verse one, we simply see a portrait of Christ to the angel. Now, what is the angel? Well, this comes from a Greek word, angelos, which means messenger. Now, if you and I translate it as angel, as in the way it's translated the majority of the times in the New Testament, we would have to say that every church has an angel. There's no, there's no indication of that anywhere else in the Bible. And so what else could it mean? And what is a more practical uh, response to this and what most uh, scholars would believe today? The word messenger can also mean a prophet or a pastor. And so it's believed that Jesus was addressing the pastors because then the pastors would then have to proclaim this message to the rest of the congregation. He says to the angel of the church at Ephesus. What about this town of Ephesus again? First one mentioned. Well, not only is this the, really the foundational question we're asking today, but keep in mind also that Ephesus was one of the most important cities in the entire Roman Empire. It was a port city, rich. It was wealthy, a wealthy city. In fact, the games there that they had was the only town, the only city in ancient times that rivaled the games at Rome. And so it was a very influential city. It had the the Temple of Diana there, so it was a cult-worshiping place. It had a Jewish synagogue and now a church. And so it was a religious center in many, many ways as well. And so as we look at this, we look at, at, at the rest of the verse. It says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the, the seven golden lampstands. Now, when we see a description of Jesus here, it really refer, it always refers back to chapter 1. He's already explained what he saw in this vision. Verse 12 of chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice of one that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and one with a golden sash around his chest. What is it saying here? This picture of Jesus is one holding seven stars in his hands. And this is one of the few times in the Bible where we see within the first couple of verses a symbol, two different symbols being used really for the same office. He's saying, I rule, I hold something in my hand. I rule over and I am the strong man with the pastors of the church. Not just the senior guy, but all the pastors of the church I hold in my right hand. That's not just a place of protection, though it is. It's a place of rulership. God says, I rule over the leaders of the church. The lampstands that we'll find all throughout the book of Revelation stands for churches. These are the seven churches that he is proclaiming this message to. So the proclamation in verse two, he says three things. He says, first of all, I want to say a word of encouragement to you. I just want to be encouraging right now. 
I want to, you know, Jesus sort of takes the approach. Let me give you something good. Let me give you something you need to work on. And then let me give you something good again. And that's what we see here, at least in this, this first letter. He says, first of all, I want to commend you for a couple of things. I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance. He says, first of all, you're devoted. I appreciate your devotion, all your hard work. In fact, this idea is having hard work to the point, toil to a point of exhaustion in your life. It was a hard working church. Now, let me say this. If Jesus were, were evaluating our church, there's no question. They would say, he would say, you are a hard working church. Did you know right now there are over 500 people involved in ministry in some way in this church? Now, some people have more than one job, but right now, in fact, you can be involved, you can get involved in the ministry of this church because everybody ought to have a piece of the rock. Everybody ought to have a seat at the table. And today we're going to have a little video in just a few minutes about our greeter ministry. That's so important. In fact, it's been said that most people decide whether they're going to come back to a church the second time around in the first 10 minutes that they're there. Man, I don't even get a shot. You know, it's all uphill after that if you're unfriendly. And so it's so important as people come on campus, they know where to go. They know what to do. And they have a smiling, friendly face. And I know we have, wear masks and all that, but still, you can tell by a person's eyes sometimes whether they're smiling or not, right? And a friendly hello to you and a fist bump. Uh, and you need that in order to create the atmosphere we need in our auditorium. So we invite you to be there. We have not only a greeting ministry, great choir, orchestra, band, we have small group leaders. We have security. So many things. Preschool. We'll call them VIPs because they're there about every three weeks. Very important people to our church as they keep the preschool during the worship hour. Not Sunday school, but small group, but during the worship hour. And so we want everyone to have a job, to, to be involved, to say you have an investment in reaching people for Jesus Christ. We give that opportunity today. We don't, we don't want necessarily somebody who already with four jobs sign up for the greeter ministry. We don't want to be like that, that poem where it says, Mary had a little lamb who grew up to be a sheep. It joined a 21st century church and died for lack of sleep. And sometimes that can be true. So involved. And so we don't want you to have five jobs, three jobs, four jobs, one job. One job to be involved. And this church was working, a hardworking church, but also not only devoted, it's durable. You know, we just came out of a series of messages on not only here in the pulpit, but also in your small groups about overcoming spiritual vertigo. And that whole book was about courageous faith, enduring faith. He says that you have patient endurance. Then he says in verse three, I know you are, endure, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. Wow, he says this twice, twice, that you have enduring faith. Wow, this is a great church. And then they're doctrinally pure. It says also in verse two, how can you, you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Now I said, he says something good. Then he says something with concern. Then he comes back and says this in verse six. And yet the, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans, we don't know who they were, really. We're kind of guessing, and most people guess. They come from kind of an offshoot, kind of a false doctrine 
of Nicholas, one of the first deacons, as he started some churches and it, it grew from there and he kind of passed away and they, they went uh, in error from there. And they believed that basically the flesh and the spirit did not meet. You could do whatever your, your flesh wanted you to do. You could uh, do all kinds of uh, sexual sin or addictions, whatever you want, but it never touched your spiritual life. Of course, we know that's a heresy. God calls it the same thing. He says, you hate that. You hate false doctrine. He says, you have sound doctrine. Now, let me say this about our church. Whatever you think, we know that our leadership here has sound doctrine. We believe that the Bible is the word of God. Now, we believe that from cover to cover. Now, I don't know about the cover. You know, mine says genuine leather. I don't know if I believe that or not. But everything else, I'm with. Now, you say, well, now, wait a minute, Pastor. What about this obscure thing here in the Old Testament that you're taking out of context? Listen, I believe that God loves us, that he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day, and he wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to have a message of who he is and get to know who he is. He wants us to know and have the wisdom to live the Christian life. He wants us to know even before that how to be saved. How are we going to know that unless we have a guide? I believe that he has given us a perfect word of God in order for us to trust him with our lives. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. I know people say, well, George Bonner says 17% of the people in churches today have a biblical worldview. You will not find that with me. I've not compromised the Bible in all of my life, and I won't compromise it here. And by the way, <clears throat> not only that, but you know we're conservative because our staff do, does not have facial hair, and we don't wear jeans. <laughs> See, that has nothing to do with it, does it? Nothing to do with it at all. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find something like that. And so we are... We are that doctrine. In fact, I look at this church, guys, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the kind of church I'd want to join. You know, if I move to the town of Ephesus, in fact, I might move to the town of Ephesus just to go to this church. I don't know if you know this or not, but a survey taken, eight, eight out of 10 people move, surveyed, moved to Oviedo just because this church was here. Now, that survey was taken during a ministerial staff meeting, but I don't want to get picky about things. Just leave it at that. But of all the things that he says was good about this church, and we can say good about us as well, he says, I have a bone to pick with you, so to speak. I have a concern, verse 4. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Wow, what an indictment. God, we're, we're enduring all this. God, we, we haven't grown weary. We've just kept right on working. We're winning people to Jesus. We're doctrinally pure, and you, you make a, an accusation like that. Well, I want him to evaluate me today. And I hope you want him to evaluate you as, as well. What does this mean, first love? Really, it's a couple of things. One is that first love that you have that holds first place in your life. And that's the emphasis, I believe, that's here. What is it that has first place? What, what excites you? What drives you to passion? What is in your life that you fear losing the most? 
That's going to be whatever your God is. It's really whatever you love. It's like the, the young girl falling in love with the young man as teenagers or college students. That's all she can think about. That kind of love. Is Jesus really first place in our lives? But it also has something to do with that sense of first love, like when you first fell in love. You first fell in love with Jesus and the peace that was in your heart and the joy that you just felt in your heart. And you wanted to tell everybody, I hope that was you. That should be the testimony of everybody. You wanted to tell everybody about what had happened to you. Where did that all go? You say, well, you know, I, I don't know. It's sort of like the uh, lady told me one time when I, after preaching about passion for Christ, she says, well, you know, I believe when you're first saved, you know, you get all that passion. And then it just sort of wears off as you just sort of get into a, a mode of just kind of traveling along with Jesus and strolling along with him or something like that. Uh, where do we ever get that idea? You know, as we're looking at this, as we look at it, we ask ourselves the question, what was going on in Ephesus? There were really two things. One was a generational thing. The, the church had gotten older. Now we're in the 90s, okay? We're, we're near the turn of the century. And John had been there a long time. Paul had started the church, what, back, I, I can't remember, the 60, 50s or 60s. And so that first generation is getting older. And then the new generation has come along. And they don't know God like their mom and dad did or their grandparents did. Remember the story I said in the Old Testament in Judges where it says, you know, first of all, there's, there's Joshua and then the elders of the church that knew the ways of Joshua and then there were the next generation didn't know Joshua at all, didn't know the word of God at all. We can see this in the life of David. King David was a man after God's own heart. He gave birth Solomon. Solomon at best was a moderate believer. We don't know if he came back to God at the end of his life. He had a son by the name of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was godless. He could care less about the things of God. He just used God as a means to an end. We can see this generationally. It's so hard to pass down your faith. That first group at Ephesus, they were just on fire for the Lord. And as they got older, perhaps they, they sort of came to a place in their life where they didn't love him quite as much. The next group came along, and they just didn't love him like they loved him before. But there's something else here too, I think. There's just a simply that older generation are also saying, wow, you know, I'm, all, I'm doing the right things. I'm going through all the right motions. But somehow the motivation, that loving motivation is not quite there. You know, when I think about first love, I think about really two groups of people. I do think about that young Christian, like myself, when I was a young believer, that was just really on fire, we used to call it, passionate for the Lord. Boy, there's nothing I, couldn't, I wouldn't do for God and, and really all for the right motives. Why? Well, it was new. I remembered what it was like to be lost. I remember what happened to me and the way I felt when I first got saved. So I think about that young believer, but also think about the older believer as well. We said goodbye to a fellow by the name of Lynn Klein. Many of you maybe don't know him, but he was a small group leader in our church for 25, 26 years Chairman, former chairman of the deacons twice, deacon, first deacon emeritus, I think, in our church. He left to go and, and live in Arizona with his kids, a real man of God. I think about Frank Wheeler, who was one of the really founders, that whole family of Oviedo 
and what a minister he was to me before he passed away several years ago. But also remember, and when I really think about this, I think about a fellow by the name of Gus Werner. And Gus Werner, called Uncle Gus, was an elderly gentleman by the time I, I knew him. And he was a retired professor and missionary at Coal Falls College. He was a missionary over in China before they closed out the country. And he came back over to teach for the rest of his life. He taught missions. His heart was for missions. His heart was for young people to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth. Every spring before school was out, we would send our missionaries, summer missionaries out for the summer. They'd all raise their money. There was usually about 75, 50, 75 of those young people going to various parts of the world to do missions for 10, 12 weeks. And he was called on to pray over these young missionaries. And I remember being there, second, third row, and I just couldn't help but glance at him every once in a while and the passion this old 85-year-old man was praying. He's crying for the souls of people all over the world, praying for those young missionaries that they, their lives would be changed when they go over. He's praying for that God would prepare the hearts of the people they were going to. What a, I, I, I just, when he said amen, I thought, God, that prayer had to have reached you. What a passionate prayer. Well, the meeting was over. We were in the gymnasium having that meeting, very large one. I went out the door of the gymnasium, and uh, the door was from about here to that wall, the back wall from the stage area. So I, I went out, and a friend of mine turned around. There's probably 50 people left in the gym at the time. And he says, what's going on? Something's happened. And then I run into the gym, and I see this crowd of just a few people, several people actually, crowded around. And I made my way through the crowd, and there was Uncle Gus on the floor with a nurse over him trying to resuscitate him. Died. Immediately, after he prayed that prayer, he died. And I think about a man like that. A man that was so durable, trustworthy, faithful, never giving up his passion for Jesus Christ. And the problem is, what about us? What's, what's our problem? Our problem is very universal. When we first receive Christ, we have a great need in our life. And we go to God with that need. But then as we go on in life, the gifts of God just come in to us a little bit more. And we just don't need God quite as much. Like the farmer. You know, back when people were on the farm, uh, they were praying here in Florida, they're praying for rain all the time. That's why you see, you hear people all the time in Florida saying, well, we need it. Right? I mean, everybody in Florida always, I mean, it could be a monsoon and raining every day for two months. And, oh yeah, but we need it. Why do they say that? Well, it's, they needed it. The farmers needed it. But now we get a paycheck. We get it every week. We get it whether we work hard or not. We're not as, quite as dependent. And as other things, and the government comes in, into play, here, here, here's a gift, here's a gift, I'll let you have this. Suddenly, we don't, we don't need God quite as much. And we begin to worship and need that gift from God, maybe more than God. You need that great career that God has given you. And you fear losing it. 
your business, your family, all these gifts. Now I want to ask you a question. How would you feel if it were you? Suppose you gave your wife a nice, really, really nice, expensive diamond ring. I know that when my wife and I got married, I was a pastoring at the time, a little country church, $150 a week. I know what some of you are thinking, yeah, but it's probably millions now. I mean, it was so long ago, what, 17th century or something, but really, I'm, I'm insulted that you would think that. But anyway, moving right along, um, it would probably be maybe three, $400 a week now, but very little, didn't have much money, so I bought her what I could. Little, uh, I mean, you could see the ring, you know, you could see it. And that's better than some. We were in seminary, and uh, I saw this little ad in the paper. It looked like a big, big ring, you know, big diamond. No ring to it, just the diamond. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order one for my wife, surprise her. So it came, and she was there, and she said, what's this package? And I met her kind of at the door, and I said, oh, I know what this is. And we opened it up, and it was in a piece of paper, and I opened it up and said, what do you see this? And I opened it up, and there was nothing there. And I saw right here a piece of glitter fall into the shag carpet. It was the diamond, I guess, or the diamondoid. I don't know what it was, you know, fake. But anyway, it was in the carpet. We never found it. We laughed about it. I said, I, I, I spent money on that. I, I wasted my 1995 on that diamond. <laughs> but later, our 20th anniversary, I did buy her a nicer diamond, more, you know, in line with what most people have. But suppose you really went all out, and you bought one of those, you know, four or five carat things. I don't even know how big that is, but big, big diamond. In fact, everybody wanted to see it. I mean, she was there showing her ring off, you know, to everybody. Everybody wanted to see that ring. And pretty soon you look at your wife and say, you know, I, I don't know. I think you love that ring more than you do me. And she says, well, I do. <laughs> how would you feel about that? Well, this is the great, why shouldn't I love it? I mean, you gave it to me. Yeah, but, but you love it more than you, but that, that's okay because you gave it to me. No, it's not okay. And it's really not okay when we begin to love things more than we love God. And it costs us the peace and the joy and the passion in our life, the direction of our life. What did God say to do? I've got to hurry with this. And it, it's just real quick. He says, look, I want you to take counsel. Verse five, remember, Three things, and they're all right here in the passage. Remember, Stephen Alford, great preacher of old, said the place of departure is the place of recovery. Wherever you left your first love, that's where you're going to find it. What was life, he says, remember, what was your life like without Christ? Remember what it was like when you came to know Christ and the wonders of all that. Remember what it was like right after you came to know Christ. Remember, then he says this, he says, repent. One of the great words in the Bible. You say, oh no, I don't like that word. Yeah, but until you understand it. Repentance means a change of heart and a change of mind and it is the avenue to receiving the blessings of God in our life. Without it, we'd be going the same direction, the wrong direction all the time. It's like this man, uh, I heard a story of a guy down here in, uh, in Orlando near the convention center and he was going down uh, I drive and he stopped, rolled down the window, and he asked this guy, could you tell me how far to the convention center? And he said, well, that depends. He says, really? He says, yeah, if you're going the direction, you keep going the direction you're going, then it is 
thousands and thousands of miles. You'll never get there. But if you'll turn around, it's just two blocks away. Going the direction we're going now, going the direction I have gone before, I would never reach that first love again. I would never have that peace in my heart, even amidst all the circumstances of life around me. And the joy, even with all the circumstances around me, we'll never get that. We're still we're working hard. We're going hard. We're durable. Our car never runs out of gas. But we just got to be going the right direction, turning around. He's repent. You say, yeah, but I just don't feel. I've repented, but I just don't, I don't, I don't feel it. Well, then you return. Or repeat, however you like to phrase it. He says this, do and do the works you did first. What did you do first? John Bassanio, um, who's a pastor of First Baptist Church of Houston for 30 years or so, uh, one of my um, most admired pastors in my life, said that he did a survey in his young pastorate, first 10 years or so, and he said he found in his marriage counseling that people fell out of love often between the years of four and seven years of marriage. He says, let me tell you what I, I told him to do. I turned to the book of Revelation, and I said, what you need to do is return and do the first works that you did when you were married, before you were married. What happened? Well, did you open the door for her? Open the door for her again. Did you fix a nice meal for him? Do that again. Did you, did you uh, help around the house? Do that again. Did you do this? Do this again. Do it again. Whatever it was, just do what you were doing before. And pretty soon, he said, he found couples, when they started doing that, their treasure became their spouse again, and they fell in love. The Bible says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And it means more than just money. I mean, it's talking about money in the passage, but it means everything. If you invest in someone else's life, they become your treasure, and that's where your heart is going to be. You remember. And then you repent, and then you return. Did you read the Bible? Yeah, I used to read the Bible all the time, read the Bible again. I used to pray all the time. I used to, 15 minutes every morning, do that again. I used to be involved in church. I'm not anymore, but be involved again. We, got a, we have a chance. You can start right now, right out here in the greater ministry. Whatever you were doing before, you do, again, he says, he says, if you don't, I will come remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The lampstand, I'll remove the church. I'll remove the light of the church. Right now, you cannot visit the church at Ephesus. It doesn't exist. In fact, the whole city does not exist. You, right now, you can visit the ruins of Exodus. Right here. You see some people, you barely see them, but they're visiting there on a on a trip, the ruins of Ephesus. You want your town to look that way? You want your country to look that way? They ceased to be the testimony. The light was taken out, and therefore the light of the entire city. He says, but he that has an ear, let him hear. Verse 7, and this is what the Spirit says to the, to the one who conquers, I will grant to him the tree of life. I'm going to bless his life. I'll close with this story fellow by the name of Robert Robinson was called, was saved at 17, then called into the ministry. And back in the old days, in 1800s, and he wrote several songs, several hymns that you'll find in a hymnal. One of them called Come Thou Fount. 
And some of the words, come thou fount of every blessing, to my heart sing thy praise. And it says in there, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. He was prone to backslide. He'd go back and forth. But finally, later in life, he just left the ministry, lived on the road, not in total poverty, but just lived on the road. He was riding in a stagecoach, and his young lady was across from him, and you could tell she was all excited about Jesus Christ. And back then, people used a hymnal for their devotions. And she was, I'm sure, trying to share Christ with uh, Miss Robinson, and she opened up and she said, you know, I, I was wondering, could you explain, I'm a, I'm a new Christian, could you explain this hymn to me? And he looked at it, and the hymn was, Come Thou Fount. He began to be troubled. He tried to hand the hymnal back to her, but she wouldn't take it. No, really, I, I knew, I wish you'd just give me some sort of interpretation. And he began to cry, tears coming down his face, and she knew right then that she was talking to a tortured soul. At that point, he looked at her and said, I'm the one who wrote this hymn. And I am prone to wonder, and I left the God I love. And she said, but there's another part of this hymn that says, streams of mercy never ceasing. Streams of mercy never ceasing. He'll take you back. He'll return. You return to your first love. He will take you back. That stagecoach ride before he got off that stagecoach, he had recommitted his life to Jesus Christ and returned to his first love and lived the rest of his life that way. So what about you today? Has there been a time in your life where you've been closer to God than you are right now, more excited about Jesus than you are right now? If so, when? If so, why? Why then, not now? Has there been times in your life where you've had the peace and the joy, even amidst all the circumstances, but not now? Something's missing from your life. In fact, sometimes you even reach up and say, God, I miss you. Have you left, not, not lost, but left, abandoned, your first love? The Bible says remember. Can you remember? The Bible says repent. And then from this point on, after today, after repentance, you do the works that you were doing before. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning I'm going to ask you to make that commitment to him today. You want to be, you don't want, you don't want to be like Robert, Robert Robinson. You don't want to be like that. To reach the end of the road, lost everything, only then to come back to the Lord. Return to your first love now. That's how you're going to conquer this year and be a conqueror in 2021 as well. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want to invite you to do that right now. And you can do that by praying right now, asking Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be the first love of your life. Would you pray with me right now if that's the prayer of your heart? Lord God, thank you, Lord, for loving me, that God is love. Thank you, Lord, that you died for me on the cross, rose again on the third day, and I invite you into my heart right now. Save my soul in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.